Hi, this is Lauren Weiner, and this is Winning with Connections, the WWC podcast around government contracting and all of the different issues that go into the challenge of being a small business government contractor. I am here with Tammy Ferreira, who is a security subject matter expert and truly a subject matter expert in this realm that is around facility security clearances and personal security clearances as well. Tammy has been an integral part of WWC getting to the the next level in our security apparatus, and she is also available to other businesses at various levels of their security kind of development from the, I don't have yet a facility security clearance all the way to, I am a, you know, small to medium sized business who is looking to increase my security program to be more effective. So Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lauren. It's great to be here. Uh, so tell me how you got involved in this security kind of community as a whole and how you got to be a facility security officer and a subject matter expert. We fall into it. There certainly isn't a degree to go to school for to become an FSO. So we all kind of fall into it one way or another. I fell into it really post 9-11. I ended up being a security clearance investigator for one of the contractors and spent several years doing clearance interviews for people's um, investigations, whether it's with the DOE, the DOD. I did a lot of work um, on the DOE side. And that's really how I ended up in this. I did that for a number of years and then was offered the opportunity to come to the other side. I don't know if it's the darker side or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I came over to the other side to become an FSO. And I really was like most everything I've ever done in my life. I was thrown into the deep end and said, go ahead, swim or sink. So I had to definitely get up to speed and figure out how this end of it worked versus the other end of the security clearances that people need to do this work. Absolutely. So let's go really, really basic first. If I am a government contracting firm um, who wants to do work with the Department of Defense, do I need a security clearance? You as a firm, um, the firm would need a facility clearance and then individuals that would work within that that realm on the, the cleared contract would need a personal clearance. So without going into so many acronyms, as we all do, we all have these acronyms <laughs> in our own jobs. Um, commonly, the personal clearance is referred to as a PCL and the facility clearance is referred to as the FCL. So companies would need a facility clearance in order to operate and, and perform on a cleared contract. How do you know it's a cleared contract? So the government releases uh, different um, proposals. And within the proposal, it'll it'll be in the statement of work, which is commonly referred to as the SOW, S-O-W, or the performance work statement, the PWS, and it'll call out security requirements in in there, in the in the proposal, 
and tells you what you need in order to, um, as a company, the level of facility clearance you need to be able to perform on that contract and what personal clearances are required for that contract. Great. So you're looking at a, a SAO or a PWS in an RFP and you notice it requires a secret security clearance um, for people on the contract. What do you do to get that? <laughs> this is a loaded question, and I know it's a really long <laughs> answer, so I'm teeing it up for you. How, how do you get, first of all, at, at that point, unless it says that the government will, that you don't need the facility security clearance prior to award and the government will sponsor you, which I've seen less and less of in the last few years, how do you get a facility security clearance first to be able to bid this stuff? So in order for a company to obtain a facility clearance, they would generally be on a team with somebody. Um, a lot of small companies start out where they team with the big guys in order to be sponsored for a facility clearance. So they can go with a prime contract, be a subcontractor without an FCL, but the prime contractor can sponsor them for that facility clearance so that they would be able to perform as a company on that contract and have cleared individuals as well. Cleared, cleared individuals in and of themselves can work on a contract, but unless they're the company they work for has a facility clearance, they can't. Their personal clearance is not enough. Got it. So as a facility, as a company, um, which is what the facility kind of comes from, um, as a company, I need a facility clearance in order, in order to basically hold the clearances of the personnel who are going to be working on that contract. Yes. Correct. Yep. Okay. So how do I get that? You said that a company can sponsor, a prime contractor can sponsor you. Can they sponsor you just because they're nice guys and they're, they're, you know, your mentor firm wants to sponsor you for a facility clearance? Or do there have to be conditions that have to be met in order to allow them to sponsor you? Great question. Yes, there are requirements that need to be met. So the company would be sponsored by either the prime on this contract or if the government, say, put out a sole source and wanted a certain company, then they would sponsor that. And like we said earlier, they're not doing much of that. So a company would be sponsored by the prime. If they're a small company and they are a subcontractor to the prime, the prime would submit a request that goes to the government stating that, yes, this company is teaming with us on this proposal. And upon award, they would be able to then hire the employees the cleared individuals because now they have a facility clearance and they can hold personal clearances. So that company would be sponsored for that facility clearance. Great. Okay. And how long does that normally take? Well, no, that's a great question to ask. <laughs> so I will say it depends on what part of the country you're currently in. If it's in a slow area of the country, the, the request goes to the facilities clearance branch, which here goes another acronym called the FCB. And they're really the vetting apparatus for facilities. So it, for small companies that are not foreign owned, because that's a whole different scenario, if they have any foreign ownership or individuals 
if the company is com- comprised of some foreign based and some US based monies, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother story. So they would be submitted for the facility clearance. And once the prime submits that, that are really hands off, then it's up to the, the company to file all of the documents that are requested for the facility clearance branch to vet them and grant them a facility clearance. It's much like the process for get your own personal clearance. So it has to be an established business. They have to, you know, be with the division of corporations in whichever state, you know, and of course all the other stuff that goes with the business and EIN and all those things. Those are the documents that they'll request and they'll vet the company based on those documents. I have never seen a facility clearance not issued. Um, the company, in order to actually go forward with the sponsorship, they would have to have at least two FTEs on the contract in order to move forward with the facility clearance because they don't want to clear just 1099 consultants that may have their own company, but they don't have a facility clearance. So there's kind of a, a catch right there because 1099 consultants that have their own company, they are paid as 1099s if they don't have a facility clearance. So that's right. kind of a, a little bit balanced there. If it's a single person company, the prime can, even if it's company not uh, as an individual, even if you're, you're working as a, as a company, but a single person company, you can your clearance can be held by the prime and you don't get a facility security clearance. But if you have other people working for you, then you need a facility security clearance in order to hold those clearances. Correct. And that yes, and that's where the requirement of having two FTEs that prevents people being submitted or or small one one company or one person companies being submitted for facility clearances when it's really not needed. So they saw a lot of people being put in for facility clearances where it was just a one person company and they have put kind of a stop to that and said, hold on, you have to have more than one FTE. We're not going to just clear a one person company. Mm hmm. Right. And and this is I have heard from a number of companies as they are trying to get into the defense market in particular, um, that this is the biggest stumbling block. This is one of the the kind of barriers to entry, as it were, for getting government work, particularly in the defense space, because it's a chicken and egg. You really you need the clearance to get the contract, but you need the contract to get the clearance. Are there any tools or tricks or tips that you have for figuring out how to get that? Um, it sounds like that the relationship with the prime contractor and the ability for the prime to sponsor you for that is really critical. It is. And I have talked to a lot of people, just individuals that I've met throughout my years that may be starting a company or work for a company that doesn't have a facility clearance yet. And they'll call me up and say, Hey, what, what is our best option to be able to get a facility clearance to then go out and bid on cleared contracts? Mm-hmm. And that is, it absolutely is a chicken and an egg. Um, some, you know, some of them I've given them, you know, Hey, go, go to companies that have a facility clearance that 
you've built a relationship with and see if there are a couple FTEs they could throw you on a contract to be able to sponsor you. Um, that's a, that's a good way to do it. And that's why this business having relationships is absolutely critical in order to move forward because in this industry, nobody does anything on their own. You're, you're partnering with other companies, you're meeting people, you're teaming with people. And that is the most critical thing to do to be able to find that company that you've maybe built a relationship with that has a contract that's right up your alley. So, mm-hmm. you know, the best thing to do is, hey, exploit those contacts in a good way mm-hmm. and see if they have a couple of open slots on a contract to be able to um, send them your way and sponsor you for facility clearance. That's how most companies uh, that I have worked with get their facility clearance. It's heard, relationships. Absolutely. I heard a really creative thing the other day uh, with a company that we're now working with. Uh, they actually bought a company that was in trouble basically that they weren't they weren't an effective company but they had a facility clearance and so they bought them for kind of a fire sale price bargain basement just for the fcl uh and then they built that that the company behind that um based on their own knowledge and know-how but that that fcl was really valuable uh for them to get started without having to do all of this but without that, you really do have to figure out how to get with a prime who can sponsor you through that and then get yourself through that that clearance process. All right. So let's let's talk about now you've got your facility clearance. How do you set up this? This stuff is really complicated. How do you set up a solid security department apparatus? I know you've got a, a almost a Bible uh, that you rely on as a security professional and then a number of other tools and techniques uh, and, and places that you go for advice or guidance. But generally, what are you looking to do in order to set up that proper security apparatus? That's a big question, and I think it probably could take 20 minutes to answer that question. So we might need to unpackage it as we go. Well, what's the first thing? When you get the facility clearance, what should you do first? So what I what I have done is um, there's there's a lag of time between when you submit the facility clearance documentation to the facility clearance branch for them to vet you. And then from the time that, let's say, an interim FCL is um, initiated or you know, they've looked through the documentation of your business. They're going to go through everything mm-hmm. and let's and they can grant an interim clearance at that stage. Um, or sometimes it just goes into a final FCL. But what what is not understood is all that goes into actually running a program. You're mm-hmm. right. It, it is a lot of of documentation, a lot of processes and things such as adverse reporting for security clearance, personnel security clearances. So you have to have a very comprehensive set of documents between the required briefs and then all of the reporting requirements that go with having a personal clearance, such as foreign travel and adverse, adverse information. If you have to report to a FSO that 
maybe you, you know, had a wage garnishment or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. But those documents are absolutely critical because Mm -hmm. when DCSA, when your FCL is granted, DCSA is going to expect that you are on the right path. And so Mm -hmm. many times I've run into these, these companies where the owner is trying to do everything. He's got the BD (laughs) hat on, the CEO hat, the Mm -hmm. HR hat, you know, and security, you know, they're, they're becoming their own FSO. And I would caution that that is a very dicey thing to get into because it would be like asking me to build somebody's IT infrastructure. There's no way I could do it. It's right. just it's right. not in in me. So I, I will this, just tell you, I was guilty of that. I I was the FSO for us for on and off for a number of years. We had some other people we pulled in as as necessary, but gosh, I I ran our security and I did it by just going down to the documentation and, and trying to figure it out myself, which was you know back in the day DCSA had a little bit more time on their hands and we had a great uh DCSA that at that time DSS rep and DCSA is the defense clearance. counterintelligence defense counterintelligence and security agency that right. name that yep and DSS was the defense security service before that we had a great DSS officer who who handheld us through all of this and said you can do this you can be the FSO but let's back up so you need you need, first and foremost, you need a facility security officer, right? Or an FSO. So you need to identify that FSO. Yes. So part of the having a facility clearance is having what's called a key KMP list, key management personnel. And generally speaking, that is going to be, when we're talking about small companies, that's going to be whoever owns the company, uh, if there's two co-owners, whatever. And then the FSO goes on that list. And they all must have clearances, personal clearances that are at the same level of the facility clearance that they were put in for. So let's say they're going on to they've partnered with a company that has only uh, a secret proposal that they can sponsor you on. That means that that's the highest level of clearance. So the facility clearance will be at the secret level. And then the key management personnel who are responsible for the operation of the security program are also cleared to the level of the facility. So if you have a secret FCL, then you can only hold clearances up to the secret level Mm -hmm. and all of your KMPs are cleared to the secret level. And if it's TS, then it's, it's higher. And I would suggest to companies, hey, if you can, if you want a TS based on, you know, being able to go after other things, hey, if there's an opportunity in front of you to get a secret FCL, go for it because you can always have an upgrade later if Mm -hmm. a bid comes around. Right. So that, yeah, that is, it is very important. Right. So if, if I as an owner don't have my own individual personal security clearance, but I have someone in my firm who does. Do I need to get an individual clearance in order to to have the facility clearance? Or is there a way to exclude me from that key management personnel for the facility? So there, there are things such as exclusion resolutions for a facility clearance. 
Mm-hmm. And those are most used when you have a foreign ownership of a clear defense contractor. So the biggest one out there is BAE systems. Everybody knows them. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're a British firm. And when BAE came stateside and wanted to get into the clear defense work, um, they had to partition the foreign ownership from the cleared entity. Mm-hmm. And Although they have some, um, you know, rights to see what's going on in the company and things like that, there's a lot of things that has to be kept separate. Mm-hmm. And that's where the exclusion resolution would come in. So you may have a, a company, depends on how it's structured, an individual that's with the foreign company would then become an, an excluded person on the U.S.-based facility clearance. Right. That's that's generally what those um, exclusions are for. But other than that, um, you the individuals on the KMP list and whatever contract they're going after has to be to the level of what that DD 254 says in the RFP. Okay. so when you then so so you've you've got this KMP list, you've got this key management personnel list. Everyone on there is cleared either through, you know, they previously held a clearance or they're getting sponsored for the clearance through this kind of sponsorship process generally, then you have to appoint an FSO, right? Uh, Within that KMP, one of the people is considered the facility security officer. Correct. And because they're, because of things like Snowden and Bradley Manning came about the insider threat program within a clear defense company. And it was a requirement, I think, uh, 2015 or 16 that was put into play, mm-hmm. um, the insider threat group. So a lot of times the FSO will also be what's with the insider threat group. You have to have an insider threat working group comprised of executives, C-suite, HR, and the FSO for the insider threat program. So a lot of times you'll see the FSO is the FSO and the ITPSO, which is the insider threat program security officer. Got it. So that's another thing where if you have a small company and, you know, one owner and he's trying to wear all, he or she's trying to wear all the hats, mm-hmm. there's so much more to security, so many layers of security and requirements that are always changing and updating it's really a full-time job to keep it up, even if you have a small presence. Let's say you have five employees. Right. You still have to have all of that, you know, ready to go for them. Right. Okay. So that's really, it. this is, it's a thicket. It's hard to do and it's hard to do it right. Uh, and it's hard to know what you're doing. As an, so assuming hopefully somebody is using a, a consultant like you, to figure this stuff out and and not doing what we did, which was to try to go, you know, deep dive into all of the the regulations and the documentation uh, to figure it out on your own. Uh, It has gotten much harder, I think, post Snowden, post Manning, you know, post the Navy Yard shooter. But the training for the FSO, if, if you've got an FSO, hopefully you've got an FSO that's done this before. But if you're a brand new FSO, there is, Specific training you have to go through in order to be a facility security officer, right? Correct. There are two tracks. There is the, the 
program for non-possessing facilities. Mm -hmm. The FSO has to take certain courses for a non-possessing facility. And if the facility is possessing, meaning they have safeguarding, they have a container with classified documents or require that you have a container because classified documents are part of that contract, um, then they definitely need to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Okay. So there's a, there's a possessing facility, which essentially means you have classified documents at your individual business facility. You are not just seeing classified documents or your staff is not just seeing classified documents in the government space, but you are actually holding documents yourself or IT, even more so IT systems or what have you, but you are, you are at some level keeping those classified documents yourself in your own physical facility, not just at the government site. Correct. So that's, yeah, so those are the two different tracks for an FSO. It just depends on um, what uh, the company that, say, they hire an FSO um, and, you know, let's say the person has worked in a non-possessing facility and then they go and take another job with another company as an FSO for a possessing facility. Now they have to take those extra courses to understand how you have to safeguard classified materials or systems in a cleared facility. Got it. And where do you find these trainings? Are they online? Are they available? How much do they cost? Uh, what, where do you get training to be an FSO? So the training is through um, DCSA, and they have a site that is uh, specifically for FSO training. Um, it's funny because the the former DSS rep you spoke about that was the best ever, and I would concur with you. Yep. Uh, um, you know, we her her and I had had several conversations that these courses are you have to still sign up for access to the system, and I hope that now they're vetting the people that are actually signing up for these, and that they're actually. FSOs or FSOs in training, Mm -hmm. but her and I were talking many times about the fact that this stuff is kind of open source. And, you know, we certainly don't want the bad guys getting, having access or knowledge as to how a cleared facility is run, because now we're just going to be even more of a target. So, um, those are, uh, those courses are available through DCSA. They don't cost anything. Um, a new FSO has 12 months to finish all of the courses, but I am here to tell you firsthand, um, as I stated earlier, I was hired as an FSO with no former um, experience, mm-hmm. and I took the courses, but it is a, a, a really sharp curve to be able to execute what you learn in those courses. Right. It's right. not... Yeah. You know, it's simplistic in, hey, you know, do you know A, B, and C, and here's the test, and you passed it. And then you're actually in the facility, and you're having to execute this, and you go, oh, gosh, I don't don't know what this is. What is this? It's more an on-the-job training. I mean, the the, the training, it sounds like the training is basic, and then actually doing the work is much harder than what the training would would suggest. It is. Even as many years as I have in this, I still run into things 
that I've not seen before. Right. And, you know, I've, I've had to go and find answers or ask, um, colleagues and, you know, even people that do this 20, 25 years, you know, it's, uh, things are, things are always evolving. Things are always changing. Yeah. Um, the enemy is always, you know, using things to be able to, um, target clear defense companies and cleared individuals. Yep. So it, it is actually a lot of, of trial and error for those that are taking the FSO courses, um, without the benefit of, of, of mentor. Perfect. Okay. And, and when you go back to, to research something, when you go back, uh, and say you're, you're looking up where, you know, what you should do on something, there are a couple of, of specific places that, uh, security professionals go to. The first, the kind of Bible of it is the NISPOM, right? So it is. So the NISPOM, so the program that clear defense companies operate in is called the NISP, N-I-S-P, and that stands for National Industrial Security Program. Within the NISP that all clear defense contractors fall in, there's what's called a NISPOM, and that's a National Industrial Security Program Operating Manual. Um, it was put out in February of 06. And I've been hearing for years that it's going to be updated. It's going to be updated. Um, but they haven't updated it. They've just come out with, um, addendums to the NISPOM. And the NISPOM is really more of a guide. It doesn't say, um, you must or you shall or you should. Um, there are a lot of situations that take place in a cleared facility. They're not, are, that are not addressed in the NISPOM. So if you haven't encountered it before, um, you don't know the answer, then you have to go and, and, and reach out to your colleagues, your DCSA rep, and, and see if you can find the answer to that. The NISPOM is, is really just a guide. Um, it, for instance, if, you know, somebody has a security incident, um, which could be anything from financial to arrest to drugs to whatever, in the adjudicative guidelines um, and you have to put in a security incident, the NISPOM doesn't tell you you put in an incident for this situation, but not this situation. You report it like this in this situation, but in that situation you report it like that. So right. the NISPOM does not really have your hard and cold rules of engagement, so to speak. Right. From the regulatory perspective or from the, the policy perspective, what it does is it gives you the overarching rules, um, but it doesn't give you enough detail to figure out individual circumstances. So you there, there are gray areas, you know, from the legislation down to the regulation, down to what this is, which is really the operating manual. It, it then you still have to go down further and further to actually get to an answer for, you know, Billy Bob just got arrested and what what needs to happen when, how do I need to report it? But it, it does give you at least the the broad brush guidelines that you go to and then and then the, the details kind of come from from the next layer of knowledge, I think, is what I've kind of always understood it to be. Yes, to some extent, there's a lot of research that that could go into something that 
maybe you haven't encountered before. And again, the NISPOM doesn't spell it out. So, for instance, as an example, an individual that goes on foreign travel and ends up becoming essentially has been pretext into a federal law enforcement, for, for lack of a better word, you've been summoned to a police station or something in a foreign country. Uh-huh. And now you've been interrogated for six hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is reported to the FSO and the FSO is like, OK, where do I start? I've never had this before. How how do you report that somebody was taken into custody and interrogated in a communist country for <laughs> six and a half hours? <laughs> and I've had I've had it. So, you know, it was it was quite. Um, quite an experience. And I, you know, I always learn experience is really the best teacher, especially in this line of work. So yeah, the NISPOM is really just a guide and to, and there could be, I mean, for as many people are out there, there's that many situations, that many things that can happen that from a security perspective, you have to report. And it could be that you're required to report it, report it only to DCSA or Potentially, some things get reported to the FBI and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so, and that's that's where the you know th- this is. I said the same thing uh, on the podcast about uh, proposals. This is both an art and a science. In the security realm, it's even more so. You, you've got the regs, you've got the rules, you've got the clear guidance uh, for for some things. But for the vast majority of things, it, it lives in the gray areas where your expertise, your experience, or hopefully someone else you can tap into if you don't have it yourself is the guide for it. You, you really do have to kind of figure it out with a, a kind of professional hat on of, of what needs to happen. There's a lot of, of common sense and critical thinking that definitely goes into being an FSO. Yeah. So. The the place that you go to manage. So at this point now, we've got a facility clearance. We've got an FSO who has stood up all of the, the different pieces that they need to have that facility clearance. They're trained. They have a, at least one system that I know of, um, and I assume quite a few other systems to leverage, but they have to get into JPass, which is the... Uh, <laughs> Right. Uh, the, 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 at least for DOD contracts and for DOD cleared facilities, uh, you're using JPass to manage individual security clearances. How do you get an account in JPass? What do you have to, I, cause I know there's all sorts of tokens and all that, kind of stuff, <laughs> which I, you know, you have to, you have to buy the certain, um, kind of, sign-ons and all that, how do you get into JPass and, and tell us the fun that is that JPass system? Oh, JPass is the, the best system ever. Not. Um, J, so you can only get access to JPass. JPass is, the account goes to the actual, it's hand-in-hand with the FCL, with the facility clearance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to have a personal clearance to access JPass, which the FSO is always cleared to the same level of, as the facility. They went away from password, a username and password probably six years ago, I guess. And we were required to get these tokens, actually maybe not even that long. We had to get tokens that replaces your username and password 
Um, they have to, there's companies out there that JPass tells you there's, I think, two or three companies you can get this token from. You have to have the token. You have to set that up on the computer. And then you have to go through the fun of requesting a JPass account and filling out a system access request. And let me tell you, those are, are no fun. As, as long as I've been doing this, I still sometimes have a request kicked back. And it's like, come on, guys, I've done this a million times. Why are you not accepting it this time? So getting, you know, it's a big undertaking with the token and then getting finally getting access to JPass. Then you get into the system and you go, what the heck? Because in order to have access to JPass, you have to, there are three courses that have to be taken as well before you're granted access. And one of them is a JPass training. But I have never known anybody to take the training, go into JPass and go, Oh, this is very easy. This, this flows right. It is user friendly. Sure. Um, that's not JPass. Right. JPass is probably the most, um, unfriendly program. It is being replaced, um, with a new system and the new system has had issues. So we have not fully transitioned from JPass to the new system. Um, but just getting access is will take a couple of weeks between doing the classes, getting the token, submitting your system access request. And once you have access and you go in there, fi- figuring out how to do anything, because it's it's silly on some some screens, you have to hit save and cancel. I mean, it's just not intuitive whatsoever. Right. So. I find, you know, companies that I have I have consulted to w- would call me up and say, hey, I have access to JPass now. What do I do? Mm-hmm. So just in and of itself, JPass, you could you could do I could do a whole mentoring just on JPass alone. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like, you know, and we're, we're just getting into as you get set up as a company. I want I, I really want to do. Uh, probably a, a follow on 201 security clearance 201 and 301. There's so much here in terms of getting people cleared, how their clearances work, how you manage uh, their clearances in the JPass or, or the now new system, uh, hopefully soon. Um, you know, how you uh, continue to have people cleared, all of the continuous monitoring uh, that is, that's now starting how clearances work, when they get archived, all of that kind of stuff that we can talk about in the next iteration. But we will be doing more of uh, security clearance requirements in future podcasts. But Tammy, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell uh, the listeners what your firm is and how they might be able to get a hold of you if this all seems like just too much and they need uh, a consultant to help them through this. I know. I've referred you to five or six other firms who have used you and come back to me and said, oh, I am so glad you gave us, Tammy. We would never have gotten through uh, the FCL process and getting the FCL, getting it set up, or those that are already established, getting our facility to that next level, which is what you did for us. And so I want to make sure that they know how to get a hold of you. Yeah, so my company, I actually melded two of my skill sets. I've been a Florida private investigator for 20-something years, 
So it was actually, it was actually a, a, a gentleman who was a, a colonel retired from the army that worked in, in the space that I was the FSO. And actually, he's the one that came up with the name. So the company's name is Investigations and Industrial Security Solutions. And the email address to reach me at is I, the, the letter I, the number two, the letter S as in Sierra, the number two, global at gmail.com. So that's I2S2 global at gmail.com. And my phone number is area code 727-215-5910. And I always love to talk to people if I can even provide them some guidance. I'm, I'm happy to help anybody out if they have question about their uh, a security clearance or anything. And when I take on small companies, Unlike some other companies that are consultants that do what I do, some of them charge X amount of dollars by head or whatever, but I tailor the proposal and my work according to the small business. And really when they're starting out, there have been times where I have just worked for free to get them up and running because I really believe in the small businesses and I want to see them get the FCL and be able to play in this space and compete with the big guys. So that's one of the things that I do is I, I take on small companies and, you know, we work out payment according to whatever they can afford. It's not one of these things that is like other companies. I just want to make sure that they're being taken care of. They're doing it right so they don't lose the FCL. If they lose an FCL, then potentially they can lose their contract as well. Absolutely. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you've done for our company in getting us from a good small business to a good emerging medium-sized business and and the, the much higher bar that we've had to kind of jump over uh, in our new facility requirements or security requirements. Uh, I, I cannot recommend Tammy highly enough to any of you who are trying to manage this process. So thanks, Tammy. Thanks a lot for your, your time today. Thank you, Lauren, and WWC is one of my faves. I love you guys. We love you, too. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you.